We turn today to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Try to notice the problem. This is the very first chapter. And try to notice the problem in the church and how he addresses that problem. I am talking to you, not the basics of Christianity, but some of the fundamental things of Christianity in this January. Some of the things that we need to remember, some of the things that we need to put front and center all the time. Not the basic things that you think you have graduated from. And the title of it today, today's sermon is The Cross of Christ. As you have read, the Corinthian church is famous for its giftedness and their wisdom that they possessed. But as you know, this church had many, many problems. A few weeks ago, we've been looking at the Philippians. And remember from Philippians, there was also the problem, the division. But remember how Paul was approaching that division very carefully? It seems like to me that this church's problems were so many that Paul didn't waste any time. But we'll go straight into the issues in that church. What is the problem here? This is the introduction I am going to preach from verse 17. But let us briefly look at the context. Problem that you have seen from the first chapter is that there is the division in the church. Divisions in the church. But it is a weak word. Division is a weak word. The Greek word is schismata, where we get the word schism. It's not so much divisions, but complete split in the church. To tear apart. He says, each one of you, so a lot of people were in this. Each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, Apollos, Cephas. And what's troubling for us is that I of Christ. Jesus Christ is on par with the rest of human beings. I mean, there is just so much confusion here in this simple verse. I don't know how to approach this problem. Yes, division, but the fact that there are so many issues that you could recognize. For example, verse 13 and 15, this division had to do with baptism. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What does that mean? Some people were being baptized in the name of Apollos? Peter? What happened to the the Great Commission baptismal formula in the triune God? I mean, what, what went wrong? Total confusion here. But important thing is that there is division. Why would people say, I belong to Paul, Apollos, Cephas. Have you thought about that? Why would someone say, I belong to Paul, and you would say, I belong to Cephas? Why would people do that, is my question. What he is pointing out is that these Corinthian Christians were claiming Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Precisely because it is not 
about those men, Paul, Apollos, Cephas. It was about them. When I say I belong to Paul and you say Cephas, what we are doing is I am elevating myself. Not so much Paul, not so much Apollos. You want to gain the respect, recognition, prominence, and influence from other people. So if I say, I shook Isis Pro's hands twice. I am not talking about Isis Pro. I'm talking about me. I want to say how important I am because I shook his hands twice, which is a fact. So that's what they are doing. Why would people do that? Because of pride. That's why toward the end of first chapter, he talks about this word, boasting. What they were doing, this church, was that by saying I belong to, we really do not know what went wrong, but by saying that I belong to that person, what I am saying is, I am better than you because I belong to this person. Pride is at work. I want to make a simple observation and maybe there is something that we can learn from this introduction. The pride here is a tree that grows on the soil of worldly mindset. But when you think about pride, pride does not work in a, in a vacuum. Something is feeding that pride. What is that? It is the worldly mindset. Worldliness. And the chief fruit of that tree called pride is almost always division in the church. So before we look at verse 17, divisions, why are there divisions in Corinthian church? Pride is at work. Why? Because they are secular. People's mindset, their worldview is worldly. They are not being sanctified. Their vision and the worldview is not being transformed and conformed to that of the Bible. The Church of Jesus Christ, past couple of years, are facing so many confusions and divisions. And I dare say that there might be the pride of life, pride of man, is at work. You don't have to try to divide the church. You simply need to be prideful. And division will come. So when there's division, when you hear the word and read this division, schismata, I think as I become, old, become older and I spend more time in the ministry, division is a serious problem. This kills the church. Division, disruption, and distraction. And now you look at verse 17. He talks about baptism, verse 15 and 16. And suddenly he changes gear in verse 17 and he talks about preaching. 
not in cleverness of speech and the power of cross. And he talks about that at least to the end of second chapter. Now people take this portion out and think of this as what the preaching should be. People teach how to preach. This is how you should preach. This is what the true preaching is about. But is, is that what is going on? I don't think so. You know why Paul is saying these things that, about the preaching? It's because the Corinthian church was bringing that worldly mindset of the Greek culture that prized the oratory skills. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wants to correct them. By doing what? By telling them the nature of the gospel, what the gospel is. Compared to the Greek oratory skills, he's comparing what the true preaching is because of what the nature of the gospel is. So this is not so much about the how, how to preach, how to teach next generation preachers to, to preach. It is not that. But Paul wants to destroy the pride of the Corinthian church by bringing the cross of Christ. So chapter 1 and in chapter 2, you will hear him talk about the cross of Christ. The gospel could be explained in many different ways. We could talk about death of Christ. We could talk about resurrection of Christ. Right? All aspects, many different facets that you could talk about. But the reason why Paul emphasizes the cross of Christ is because by the nature of the case, when you talk about the cross of God-man, it should destroy the pride of, of these people. So he's emphasizing the suffering of God-man. And how could you, as Christians, who embrace the cross of Christ, cling to that division? How can you still try to live according to the passing worldly culture and standard. That, that, that is what he is doing. So that is the introduction. And now let's look at verse 17. And as I was meditating upon this verse, few simple truths came and, and gripped me. And that's what I want to do as a reminder to all of us so as not to forget. Suddenly he says, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And he talks about how. But I will not go into that, but where you see the highlighted portion, that's what I want to do. Why? Is he preaching the gospel? Because toward the end of verse 21, because God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That is why. And I just want to focus on verse 17 today. It is always good to know your own calling because it will always clarify. The situation was bad in Corinthian church. But Paul knows his own calling, and by extension, our calling. And the first word that came to my mind 
is the word Christ. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but Christ sent me to preach the gospel. Who sent him? Who sent you? Who sent this church to the world? It is Christ. Christ who? Christ, not man, not the agency of man, but Christ sent me to preach the gospel. By that Paul is saying, not myself. I didn't go on my own initiative. But it is Christ who sent me. It is God who sent me. Main characteristic of the false prophet is that they send themselves. God says in Jeremiah 23, Yet I did not send them, but they went anyways. And they told their own lies to my people. But Christ sent him, sent me, and sent you. What that means is that there was no mistake because God does not make mistake. We know that. But when your faith becomes weak, we doubt that sometimes. We doubt whether God was the one who sent me or not. Or was I confused at the time? But he knows. Christ sent me to preach the gospel. So there's no mistake. This Christ is whom God has highly exalted and bestowed upon him the name. This Christ who sent him, he could sympathize with our weaknesses and sufferings because he was tempted as well, yet without sin. This Christ, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This Christ is the head of the body, his church, who said, I will build my church. It is Christ who has made peace through the blood of his cross. He is the commissioner. This Christ is the commissioner who commissioned his people, the church, to go into the world by saying this, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore. I will be with you to the end of the age. In Revelations, he is the one who is holding in his right hand Seven stars. And if you look up the commentary, seven stars are usually understood as the messengers of the church, his servants in his right hand, the risen Christ, who says this, He's the firstborn from the dead. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. But I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and Hades. Christ sent him, Christ sent me to preach the gospel. And this same Christ, according to his own witness, was the one who was standing by him in 2 Timothy. 
He says this. This is Paul speaking. And my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me, may not be counted against them. He was alone. Nobody came to rescue him. Nobody supported him. He was alone in the court, defending himself. None of his friends, disciples, nobody showed up. But in verse 17, he says this, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. So when Paul says in verse 17, with all the problems in Corinthian church, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. When he says, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, he has all of that in his mind. And we need to apply that to us. Who is the one who sent me to you? Who is the one who is sending you to this world? Who is the one who sent this church to this world? If you don't have faith, you will say it is man, man's agency. It is the denomination. It is the presbytery. It is the man's planning together. But I want us to remember today that we'll never be detached from the head. Jesus Christ who sent us. That will be an encouragement. He is the one who's sustaining us. Therefore, He is supplying for us. He's the one who's protecting us. And if this is man's calling, they will fall apart. But church has divine origin in God's own counsel. So I want you to remember that. I want us to remember that again. Second thing is Christ sent me to preach the gospel. Obviously, that is omitted, but by the parity of that grammar and reasoning. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What is omitted there is Christ sent me to preach. That sent is that Greek word that becomes apostle. He's the sent one. There's humility. There's the recognition that I'm an ambassador of Christ. I represent Christ. I do not represent myself, my own agenda, but I am sent one. And we need to remember that. Where did God send him? Where does God send us? Where? I remember reading from a book by Rick Phillips, Jesus the Evangelist, a very bold statement. Yes, it is God, it is Christ who sent me, but where? He says, if I'm in a barber shop getting my hair cut, that's where God sent me. And because God sent me there, the people there are the ones God chose today to hear the gospel. What a bold statement. Where did God send us? We really do not have to be mystical about that. It really is here and now. Where did God send you? 
as we talk about church, well, God sent us here. How do we know? Because we are here. By looking back at at our lives, our footsteps, if you believe God leads us every step of the way, God provides with His providential care, God has led us to this place here and now, then we really do not have to try to figure this out. God sent you here. God sent me here. God sent us here in this place, Queens, to to represent Him. We are the sent ones. God's providence is always clearly seen in our past history. Now, to do what? Again, to preach the gospel. That's one word in Greek. But here, to preach the gospel. And I I wanted us to think about that. It is so basic, but we often forget. Why did God send us? There are many ministries in the church and that we want to do now. Not so much, but we could do and we want to do. Somebody could serve God by doing the spreadsheet. Somebody could serve in the kitchen. Somebody could serve in some printing shop, website, choir, playing music. But let us remember and not forget that we are all as collectively sent by God to preach the gospel. It is also the freedom for Paul because his obligation is not to convert the souls. That's God's job. That's his responsibility. But Paul knew, I was sent to preach the gospel. The rest is up to God. So he does not have to worry about, really, how am I going to change these people, convert the souls? Nobody can. It is the divine work. But rather, we should focus to preach the gospel. Why? Once again, because at the end of verse 21, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. In verse 17, he said to preach the gospel so that, not in the cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Again, he says, I am sent to do that, to preach the gospel, the cross of Christ. Why? Because it pleased God through that message preached to save those who believe. Paul cannot trigger someone to make them believe. It is God's work. But he will preach the gospel. Cross of Christ. Why? Again. Because it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What that means is, after 2,000 years later, living in this century, We cannot improve upon the method that God has ordained to save the sinners. There are no new methods that you could employ for 2,000 years. And if you want to extend that to the Old Testament period, 
God's ordained method to save the sinners is through the preaching of the cross of Christ. Nothing else. We could do all things in our ministries, but the cross of Christ alone saves. Amen to that? There's nothing else. It's not the show. It's not the cleverness. How cool you are. Whatever dress you want to put on. It gives us greater dependency on God. To save, not to fix, but to save. That's why Jesus came. Remember the announcement in Matthew 1? You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now I want to finalize today's sermon as thinking in this way. Whenever we say, whenever I encounter the argument that the salvation is important, we always want to say, yes, it is important. But there are other things that we need to consider. Yes, it's true. It has to be balanced in a sense in the church. If a preacher says, you see, the only thing that matters is the cross. And if he only preaches the cross in a narrow sense, usually it doesn't work that way. It has to be the focal point. It has to be the main thing. But it does not mean every Sunday you hear that is the cross, 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 cross. No, there's a whole counsel of God that needs to be preached and taught. But again, when you think about what Paul is saying, Yes, there are many things that we should do and can do as a church that are very, very important. It's not either or, but at, the, at least but there is that sense in which that we could say the salvation is really, really important. And, and I want to approach this in this way. Whenever you hear the glory of God, what comes to your mind? For me, when I hear the word glory of God, Kabod comes to my mind, the weightiness of God, right? The heaviness of God. Or I hear myself repeating John Piper's dictum. John Piper wrote Desiring God a long time ago, and his thesis has captivated so many millions of people, which I am not against. And he says this, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. If you have ever read Piper, that's his main thing. Right? God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. So that comes to my mind when I hear the word glory. But this week as I was meditating on this, the salvation of sinners that we know. We know that's the main thing. I know that's the main thing. But when I was trying to bring the glory of God and the salvation, it came to my attention. If I could put it this way, God receives the most glory through the salvation of the sinners because it highlights His love. It highlights the sacrifice of the Son of God. And it highlights the work of of the Holy Spirit that applies the redemption purchased by Jesus Christ. 
The whole focus of the Bible, as we say, is the cross. That is Jesus Christ. It's the coming of Christ, His work, His person, and all that happens afterwards. If that is the case, if that was the focal point, then it makes sense for us to say, if that is the chief work of God, the triune God, to save sinners by sending His only begotten Son, the cross, then when the cross is preached, taught, shared by many different ways, if a sinner comes to Christ by believing that message, which is really solely upon the work of God, then God receives the most glory because God has once again sacrificed His only begotten Son on the cross, not to create, but to redeem. So, let us remember then, many different good things, but we may pray to God, God, use us as a church to bring you the most glory by preaching the gospel. The cross of Christ, that alone saves, correct? According to that, that alone saves. And as a pastor, I do that. As you, as an individual Christian, you try to do that. And we bring glory to God as the sinners, many sinners, come to Christ through that message. And we need to continue to pray to God that, God, we want to see more of that in our church. We talked about division in the church in the beginning of that introduction. But pride, any kind of pride, will diminish the preaching of the cross of Christ. Because pride will will resist the foolishness of the cross. Man will always try to improve upon the message, whatever fashion. And as you try to improve the efficacy or the power of the cross is diminished in subjective sense. So as you and I humbly come to God, depend upon Him, how we could bring glory to God by believing in that power of God in the cross of Christ. We as a church, I as a pastor preacher, and we as collectively as the sent church in this world that we may bring glory to God through the salvation of sinners, through the cross of Christ. It's something that we should hold on to this year, put that into front and center in our lives, and in our church's agenda, let God be glorified among us through His power in the power of the cross. Let's pray.